Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in sunny, beautiful Florida, USA. I'm doing some work down here, and I'm also going to be playing in something called the Escalator Series, which is basically three weeks of low-stakes tournaments. Um, Each one, buy-ins are 150, 250, and 350. Each of these tournaments includes an added seat into the $3,500 Hard Rock Poker Open, or whatever the next one is here in May. Uh, They seem to always have a huge WPT event going on in Florida. Uh, So it's kind of like a satellite, but there's also a prize, a big prize besides the seat for the winner. So I'm excited to play. Hopefully I will have a few interesting hands to discuss. I haven't played a tournament at this buy-in level in quite a while. Uh, the plan going in is I don't expect to be able to get away with bluffing too much. I will probably be overbetting a lot when I have value hands. And uh, just based on previous experience in this part of the country, the playing style is very loose and very stubborn. So it doesn't really lend itself to bluffing, especially at the lower stakes. So I don't expect, even if I feel like something might be a spot, I probably won't fire too many bluffs. And there's no need to be balanced because no one will really be paying much attention to me anyway. So it should be fun. I mean, I'm here for other reasons, but I do have time to at least jump into a couple of these tournaments. This is 100000 guaranteed for a $150 buy-in and also an added main event seat for the winner. So, uh, yeah, there's like seven starting flights. It's a total super turbo, whatever. I think it should be fun, and hopefully I'll have some hands for you guys. But today, it's just going to be you and me, no guest this week. And I want to run through a few more hands from day six of the World Series of Poker main event, 2019. The last hand we talked about was one where... Sam Greenwood had what was pretty clearly the best hand, and he checked it all the way from out of position, hoping to entice one of his opponents to bluff at it. Uh, He did get counterfeited on the river, as you may recall, and he checked, planning to bluff catch with his hand that had been counterfeited into basically just a bluff catcher. Uh, The very next hand, 55 players left in the main event, the blinds are 80,000, 160,000 with a 160,000 big blind ante. So that is 400,000 in the pot. It folds all the way to Chris Unikin, who has pocket nines and 6.2 million in chips. So his M is about 15. He's got about 40 big blinds. He makes it 350 from the hijack with pocket nines. And I think this is totally correct. He could go a little bigger. 
uh, but I have no issue with this open. Folded around to the small blind, our friend Marcelo Kudos from Brazil, who is a player that I became very annoyed watching. Uh, he's very, very slow. He doesn't make any plays, and he has a very annoying way of checking where he basically tries to drive his index finger through the felt. <laughs> he calls in the small blind with pocket fives, and Sam, and he's got about $10.5 million behind. And Sam Greenwood is in the big blind holding queen 10 offsuit, and he is the table chip leader at this point with $11.5 million. So the effective stack for this hand is going to be six million. Chris Unikin stack holding pocket nines in the hijack. So three to the flop with 1.2 million in the pot. The flop comes queen of clubs, 10 of hearts, four of diamonds. So queen, 10, four, rainbow, top and bottom, uh, top two pair rather for Sam Greenwood and pairs below middle pairs for Unikin and kudos holding nines and fives respectively. So kudos checks. Greenwood checks to the razor with his top two pair. And Unikin decides not to bet pocket nines into two opponents on a board of queen 10-4. I like all of the players' decisions in this on this street. I think that Greenwood could lead out, but it would be hard for him to balance his Leading range, if you want to bet top two here, hoping to get raised, I assume, by ace-queen, aces, kings, maybe king-jack, you need to have a balanced range, especially against a talented pro like Chris Unikin. So that's why I don't like leading here, because it's very hard to balance that range. I suppose Greenwood could bet all of his king-jack, jack-nine, and sets, but then he basically has way too much value. It's hard to find bluffs is what I'm really trying to say. With there not being a flush draw possible and only two open-ended straight draws on this board, I believe that Greenwood would have trouble finding bluffs. And so for that reason, I don't like leading, donking, if you will, into the pre-flop raiser. So I like his decision to check. And of course, Uni just wants to check and hopefully try to get to showdown with this hand because it's not really the flop you're looking for with pocket nines. So the turn comes the seven of hearts. So there are now two hearts on the board, queen, 10, four, and then seven with the 10 and seven of hearts. Still 1.2 million in the pot, obviously. Uh, kudos checks and Greenwood should probably bet now. Uh, he, there are more hands that can give him action more straight draws and possibly heart draws have now appeared here on 4th Street. Uh, it's unlikely that Unikin will bet a hand that he checked on the flop unless he slow played aces, kings, ace, queen, king, queen, those type of hands. He's unlikely to bet a hand like king 10 here on the turn because it's very hard for him to get called by worse. So Greenwood... If he checks here, I think that he's hoping that Unikin played an overpair slow. But I just don't think that Chris would do that. I think that in the main event, players are more afraid of 
getting bad beat, for one. Also, I think that there is value to be gotten when I'm holding aces or kings or ace-queen on a king-10 for flop. Many players would peel with a wide range of gut shots. Um, obviously, second pair isn't going anywhere if one of my opponents has a 10. If I have the aces or the kings, certainly someone out of my two opponents could have a queen, and they might even call lighter than that. So I don't believe that Uni has very much in his checkback range that is now going to bet this seven of hearts. So for that reason, I think Greenwood should go for value here. He's trying to get called by any hand that just picked up a draw, whether it be any two hearts or a hand like 9-8, things like that. Instead, Greenwood checks and Uni checks. Now, this really struck me because it's two hands in a row where Sam Greenwood had what was almost definitely the best hand and just didn't bet it. I'm sure that Sam Greenwood is way, way better at poker than I am. And I'd love to be able to ask him why he played these two hands in this way. I do understand checking the flop, but for him to not put something out there on the turn seems wrong to me. Whether it's actually wrong or if it's just a little too cool for school tricky, I don't know. But uh, at least in this particular instance, it didn't work. And so the pot is too small for the strength of Greenwood's hand. And we see a river. And it's the ace of spades. So our final board is queen, 10, four, seven, ace with no flush. The heart's missed. Uh, The king jack notably got there. Although I think it's unlikely that anyone at this table has king jack because no one bet the flop or the river. And it seemed like a spot where a semi bluff had a strong probability of success. Therefore, it seems unlikely that anyone actually made a straight. So on this Ace of Spades River, kudos with his pocket fives checks. And Sam Greenwood, who still has two pair, although it was a much stronger two pair on the turn than it is now, checks one more time. And Uni is not going to bet pocket nines with three overcards to his pair on the board. So, of course, he checks behind And Greenwood wins yet another tiny pot with a very strong value hand. So I think that these two hands, the one from last episode and this one, demonstrate the importance of building a pot when we have something. Now, as the cards lay in this particular instance, I don't think Greenwood could have gotten any value for his hand no matter what he did due to the weakness of his two opponent's holdings. And perhaps that's something he picked up on with his spidey sense or whatever. And that's why he checks in both of these scenarios. I've done that before myself. If I don't believe that I have a value bet because I think my opponents are just too weak. And I also don't believe that it's likely either of them will try to bluff me. I still check because if my read is correct, I certainly can't get value from betting. But I might be wrong about whether or not they'll bluff. So that's kind of the free roll I give myself in spots where I have a strong sense about where I stand relative to my opponent's holdings. So if that's what was going on here, I think that is certainly defensible 
for Greenwood to be so passive. Also, I mean, from a G, from a theoretical game theory standpoint, uh, certainly want to have some big hands in your checking range and all of that. But again, I, I think that's a little too cool for school here at this stage in the main event where basically people are trying pretty hard to show their hands down without too much risk. So putting out a little bet, trying to get called by a curious holding of some kind, I think would have been the play, especially on the turn when more draws became present. So that's uh, another small pot for Greenwood. And I want to fast forward, still day six, getting late in the day. Now there are 51 players left in the tournament and the blinds are have gone up to 100K, 200K with the 200K big blind ante. So there is now 500,000 in the pot as the cards are being dealt. And in this hand, we fold to the player in seat one is an English pro named Daniel Charlton who has been running pretty bad at this table. He showed up with a pretty decent stack. He's now down to 6.3 million, which is uh, certainly below average at this stage in the in the main event. Um, he has been the victim of circumstance. Uh, basically, he's lost a few pots where he got coolered, and he also got bluffed a few times. And so basically, he appears to be as the announcer, my friend Jamie Kerstetter, put it, uh, a punching bag at the table. So, uh, well, if you look at his stack now, he's down to 6.3 million. So with 500,000 in the pot, his M is only about 12 and a half. Uh, Folded to him in the small blind with the king nine of clubs. And it would be a little silly to just open shove here for 30 what is that, 32 big blinds uh, with king nine of clubs. I don't think that snap shove would approve of that. Uh, But I do think that he should be willing to raise with this hand. I think that raise folding is probably okay. The big blind is my friend Marcelo Kudos from Brazil. He, as I mentioned, he's been a very tight um, conservative player who takes way too long with every decision and doesn't make any moves. So I think raising and taking it is fine. I think raising and getting called is also fine. And I think that raising and getting re-raised, it's a pretty easy fold. Now you hate to throw away whatever equity you have with uh, King Nine of Clubs, but because this particular opponent is so unlikely to bluff three bet you, I think you can raise here with impunity. And in Charlton's shoes, that's what I would have done. Uh, I probably would have made it something like 700,000, 3.5x. Now, Kudos has us covered. He's got about 10 million in his stack at this point. He can't just three bet light because then he starts getting into no man's land as far as uh, playing versus our stack. So, because we have 6.3, if we make it 700,000, and he wants to make a credible three bet to, let's say, even something small like two million. Uh, if we shove, he's going to be folding. If he's bluffing, he's going to be folding too often a hand that has good equity against our shoving range. And the reason for that is because he will have already put in almost a third of our stack 
generally speaking, once a third of a stack is in, it's a pretty big mistake to fold against one opponent pre-flop. This is a concept that is explored in depth in Ed Miller's writing, uh, something he calls pot commitment, and that the threshold for pot commitment, he calls it the commitment threshold, is approximately one-third of the effective stack. So if he calls, suppose that Kudos puts in a three-bet bluff here with a hand like 10-7 of hearts. Now, I'm not saying he should ever do that, but suppose he decides to do that just because he doesn't believe that Charlton can call. So he decides to try to bluff him off of whatever he opens to 700,000. And suppose he puts in, let's say, 2 million. And then Charlton shoves over the top of that. Well, Kudos would be getting effectively about 2 to 1 on a call. So those are pretty compelling pot odds with almost any holding. And if he calls, he's going to be risking 60% of his stack with 10 high. And if he folds, he'll be folding away, well, generally probably about 35 to 40% equity, even with a bluff hand. So overall, it would be a really bad spot and one into which Marcelo Kudos does not have to put himself. So for that reason, I think that Charlton can open the king nine of clubs here without worrying about getting bluff raised. Instead, Charlton just calls, uh, as you do see when there are just a few tables left in the main event. Like at this point, there are six tables left. Uh, People start to think about that final table with its seven-figure guarantee payout, and they just tend to play smaller pots, and they play them more slowly, which is extremely annoying and something that the WSOP needs to do something about. I feel so sorry for the poker go uh, <laughs> the poker productions staff and crew who have to sit there and hold those heavy cameras while the players think endlessly about what to do with Jack Four. This is uh, something you see a lot. So he limps in from the small blind and Kudos checks with 10 8 offsuit. Uh, now, interesting to me, what was the plan if Charlton gets raised here? Because. Many players know that if the small blind limps on in, in a blind battle, just raising with any two cards from the big blind is profitable against most of your opponents. And I wonder if Charlton would have gone to war with the king nine of clubs if he thinks that Kudos is capable of making it, say, 800 with nothing, then perhaps Charlton should be willing to three bet, limp three bet, which looks even stronger than raise shoving, I think. But we don't have to worry about that because Kudos does check and we're going to see a flop with 600,000 in the pot. King nine of clubs for Daniel Charlton with about 6 million in chips and Marcelo Kudos holding the 10 of clubs, eight of spades. And the flop comes ace of spades, seven of clubs, five of clubs. Now in a limped pot, it's unlikely that either player has and ace. Uh, Therefore, I think that Charlton should consider semi-bluffing when he flops a flush draw, but a very strong flush draw with two over cards to middle pair. We could basically eliminate the possibility that, well, not eliminate, but we can certainly uh, discount 
the chance that anyone has an ace or that our opponent, Marcelo Kudos, has an ace. And so even if we are behind on this flop, which we usually will not be, we could assume that a king can be counted as an out much of the time, if not all of the time. So it's a very, very good flop. And so we have two options, really. I think that leading out for, say, 400000 is totally fine. You will usually win the pot. And when Kudos gets stubborn with a hand like, let's say, 8-7, or really any 7, because he could have any two cards, as there was no preflop raise, uh, we still have plenty of outs to outdraw him. We are actually a favorite against most of the hands that are beating us right now that are in Marcelo's range because, again, we don't think he ever has an overpair to our hand. So you could lead right out, or you can get cute and go for the check raise, assuming that Kudos might fire on on this board anytime we check. Then check raising is actually more profitable than betting because betting gets an instant fold without building the pot, and a check raise will probably add an extra maybe three or four hundred thousand, depending on how much Kudos decides to bluff into the six hundred thousand pot. If you check raise and get called, you have plenty of outs to catch up, which include all of the all of the clubs and probably all of the kings, maybe many of the nines. And there are also plenty of cards that could hit the turn. That would help us by giving us a gut shot, something like uh, an eight or a six will give us a gut shot to the nine high straight. So this is a great flop for Charlton and yet another example of a player flopping big and the pot staying small because kudos checks behind. And with 600,000 still in the pot, the turn comes the nine of spades. So our board is ace of spades, seven of clubs, five of clubs, nine of spades. Charlton holding the king nine of clubs. So now he has a pair and a flush draw. And it's a very strong pair because again, we don't think that we're up against a pair of aces very often given the pre-flop action. So he's got a lot going on. In the meantime, Kudos with 10-8 has now picked up an open-ended straight draw on a board that is two spades and two clubs. So Charlton now bets. I think he was going for the check raise, most likely, on the flop. And because the bet never came, he wasn't able to raise it. By the way, I prefer betting, just betting right out on this flop because, as I mentioned, Kudos is not the type to make a lot of plays. Uh, He really hasn't gotten out of line at all at this table. So I think that on the flop, in Charlton's shoes, it's better to just lead. But now that he picks up a pair to go along with his flush draw, Charlton does not want to check again. He bets 325 into 600K. And Kudos, the player that I keep saying doesn't make a lot of moves, makes a move here. He's got an open ender, and he's not afraid to bet it. To raise with it, he makes it 1.125 million. Uh, so it's a raise of 800,000. I like the sizing on the part of Marcelo Kudos here. Some of Charlton's value will fold. And because Kudos only has 10 high with some potential, uh, it's great to get any of Charlton's range to fold when we have 10 high. So, for example, if Daniel Charlton has something like 5-4 with 
two red cards on this all-black board. I think that he might bet a little something here on the turn. 325 makes sense. And he should fold hands like that to this raise. Charlton thinks about it for not very long. Kind of tired of getting bullied at this table. <laughs> he's, he, As I mentioned, he's been kind of the uh, the punching bag, if you will. The whipping boy. So he gets stubborn here. You know what? If you can beat the king, king nine of clubs right now and on the river, then maybe it's just not my day. And he does make the call of this healthy 800,000 chip raise on the part of Marcelo Kudos. So Charlton does call. And now we have an inflated pot of 2.8 million. Uh, Charlton, by the way, only has about 4.5 million left in his stack. The river comes the ace of hearts, pairing the top card on the board and giving Charlton aces and nines with a king kicker. So the final board of ace, seven, five with two clubs, nine of spades for two spades, and then ace of hearts. Ace, seven, five, nine, ace. No flush. Uh, In this spot, I think Charlton needs to be concerned that his hand is no good, but because he's pretty close to the top of his range here, uh, especially in a blind versus blind situation, uh, the nines are usually going to be good as gold, and there is that possibility that Kudos was bluffing. I don't think Charlton should bet. I think that he should check and assume that Kudos will bluff all of his missed draws, uh, which will mostly be clubs that we were hoping would have gotten there (laughs) because we're beating them all. But now we can still make money against those hands by snapping off a bluff. Charlton also needs to be worried about 8-6, which did make a straight on the turn. Uh, And of course, flopped sets, which are now full house hands. But I just don't think that there are many full houses in Kudos' range because I believe that on a coordinated board like A7-5 with two clubs that Kudos would bet all of his sets a lot of the time on the flop. So in Charlton's shoes, I'm checking, hoping to snap off a bluff and Kudos puts in $2 million, and I suppose there's a case to be made for this play on the part of Marcelo Kudos when Charlton has just a flush draw that missed and didn't make a pair, I think that this play will work, especially given his table image as a player who's been basically tight and waiting to flop a set, which he's done several times, by the way. But I'm not a fan of the sizing. I mean, if we're just trying to get Charlton to fold a a missed flush, we don't need to put in $2 million into $2.8 million. I think that even a small bet should probably get hands like Queen Eight of of clubs, king eight of clubs. I think these are hands that don't look us up very much, even if we just bet one million here. Kudos is paying a little too much to try to push Charlton off of his hand, but obviously Charlton can't fold king nine of clubs. If you can beat it, good for you, especially when that river pairs the ace. And that is why I think that in balance, I usually wouldn't make this play in Kudos's shoes. I get that you don't want to show down 10 high and lose to queen high of clubs. I get that. But I think more can go wrong by betting here than can go right. As we see, as he gets snap called, Charlton had a bluff catcher on the river and he used it. 
to catch a bluff. And let's do one more hand from day six. Uh, this is really close to the end of the day. Something like 45 players left. The blinds have gone up again. 125 and 250 with a 250,000 big blind ante. And our table has been joined by the chip leader of the entire tournament, young Timothy Sue, who has almost 30 million in chips when the average stack is only about 12 or 13 million. He has about $2,400 in lifetime caches, according to Hendon Mob. So we've got a chip leader who's been the chip leader pretty much for the last day or two, and he is very inexperienced. So good spot for the pros at the table, including Chris Unikin and Sam Greenwood. It's folded to Mr. Sue in the cutoff, and he min raises to 500,000. And I don't want to reveal his hand for those who haven't seen this hand before. Uh, folds all the way to Sam Greenwood in the big blind. And he's got pocket aces and 14 million in chips. Okay, so kind of a dream scenario. The chip leader who's recently joined your table has opened from late position. And you're in the big blind holding the nuts. There is 900,000 already in the pot before the open. So when he opens to 500, then there's 1.4 million already in the pot. And we only have 14 million in our stack. So the goal should be to try to get as much of this stack into the center of the pot without losing Timothy Sue. So... I like a pretty big raise sizing here. You don't want to make it look, you don't want to make it too easy for your opponent to call. And also we're trying to manage our SPR. So I would probably make it about two and a half million. So maybe a little less. Yeah, I guess two and a half is probably about what I would make it here. Uh, and the reason for that is once it gets called, then there's going to be like five and a half million and we'll only have a little less than 12 million in our stack. So that's great. That's a good SPR. It's less than three. And if we flop well with our aces, we should be comfortable committing to the pot. And bear in mind that if we win this hand and we do get all in and win, then we will be the chip leader ourselves. So Sam Greenwood is thinking about trying to get that chip lead. Now, if Sue doesn't have a value hand or a hand that can call a three bet, then all of these hopes and dreams are just that. But I think there's nothing wrong with putting in a big bet here and being optimistic that Sue will have a hand that's good enough to call the big three bet and we'll be able to start working towards getting our chips in the middle on a good flop. So Greenwood actually does make it 2.5 million, which I obviously agree. That's what I would have done too. And Timothy Sue calls in position. Now I have not revealed his hand, but we know that Greenwood has aces. And there is now 5.4 million in the pot. And the flop comes Jack, Queen of Diamonds, Jack of Diamonds, Four of Clubs. So Queen Jack, Four with two diamonds. And we do not have a diamond. So now there is 5.4 million in the pot. And I think this flop is not great, but it's good enough to go with, in my opinion. We have an SPR of under three and an overpair 
and our opponent who we don't know very well. So with that, I would just go ahead and bet pretty big here. We made it 2.5 million pre-flop, and now we can just put in 3.5 million here into 5.4, maybe go a little smaller, 3.2 million. The idea is that we wanna commit, we wanna try to get all the chips in. So the best way to do that, of course, we have 14 million behind uh, after we make our big pre-flop raise. So uh, I misspoke before, we have 14 million in our stack. So the way to get it all in here is, how about three plus five plus six? That's 14. And I think that if we can get called on the flop and turn, no one can fold for six million more when the pot is going to be 45 million or something. So uh, yeah, just go ahead and make a bet. Uh, I mentioned before, I think Greenwood is a much better player than I am. And I don't understand why he does some of the things he does, but he goes for the down bet here, putting in 1.8 into the 5.4 million pot. So he bets one third of the pot, which doesn't really allow him to just bet bet on future streets to get this whole 14 million in. So it makes me wonder whether he's doing this because he wants to balance his bluffs or something like that. But I just feel like when you're playing against an inexperienced chip leader like Timothy Sue, he's either got a piece of this board or he doesn't. And it really doesn't much matter whether you would make the same bet with a bluff or not. I think that players who study the game as hard as Sam does sometimes forget to exploit players who are definitely going to be exploitable. So Greenwood bets 1.8, and I think that's a little more than half of what he should have bet. Uh, Sue makes the call, and now we have about 9 million in the pot. What's the plan, though? Because there's 9 million in the pot, and we have 12 million behind. I think it's going to be pretty hard to get all of these chips in on certain runouts. So... I would have definitely preferred a bigger flop bet, as I mentioned. Uh, the turn is the jack of spades. So hero, if you will, holding pocket aces on a board of queen, jack, four, jack with two diamonds. And Greenwood does bet again, which lets us know that he wasn't trying to pot control with his small bet on the flop. So there must be some other reason. Greenwood bets 3.5 million here on the turn. And he's only got about a little more than 8 million left in his stack when he does so. And Timothy Sue shoves for that 8.2 million more. Uh, this is not an easy call. It's not an easy fold. Greenwood has basically put himself into a really tough spot. Could my opponent have a jack? Of course he could. Could my opponent have pocket fours? Naturally. Could my opponent have pocket queens? Well, let's see. He raised... Raised and then called a very large three bet pre-flop. So I think he could have three queens, four jacks, three fours. He could have all those hands. Uh, the problem for Greenwood is that he could also have pocket kings. He could have a draw like, I don't know, say king 10 or king 10 of diamonds. Or I don't know if those hands should be in his range. But again, we don't know this opponent. He's only recently joined our table. So Greenwood put himself into a tough spot where he has to bet 3.5 and then call over 8 million more. And he might be drawing dead or very, very close to dead at least. And it's for all of his chips. But 
Greenwood, here's where GTO really does help you. When you can't figure out what to do and you don't know your opponent, then you can revert back to the GTO charts or computer solutions. And I don't think that Pio would have us folding here. And so in his ongoing and endless efforts to prevent being exploitable, Greenwood unhappily makes the crying call and is prepared to see the bad news. But he's thrilled to see that Sue, in fact, held the 10-9 of clubs. So he just has an open ender here on the turn. Did Greenwood's small sizing, one-third pot on both the flop and the turn, inspire Sue to make this shove? Um, Did Sue perceive Greenwood as being weak? Or did he just know that we're about to hit yet another pay jump in the main event and it's time to put pressure on the smaller stacks. It's possible that Timothy Sue doesn't even know who Sam Greenwood is because the guy's only got $2,000 in cashes. How do we know that he follows poker even? I can't explain why Sue made this decision, but it was a good decision, uh, by which I mean anytime you have Sam Greenwood racking his brain trying to figure out what to do, you've done something right, even if Greenwood eventually arrives at the correct decision because... Your job in poker is to give your opponents very difficult decisions where they have to guess. Greenwood guesses correctly, and he's only up against an open ender. Uh, Of course, the river's a king, (laughs) giving Sue the straight and busting Sam Greenwood from the tournament and vaulting our chip leader to just an obscene level of, of chips with something like 46 million. And, you know, it was a pretty bad bust out hand. For Sam Greenwood, but one that I think he could have played better, especially with his sizing decisions on the flop and turn. Well, that'll do it for this episode. I'd love to get your thoughts on all of these hands. I give uh, quite a few hand histories on this episode. I've been studying the main event very hard. I, you know, you guys know me. I study the main event all year. <laughs> I don't just wait until a week before it starts to look at how people play. I want to know my opponents and what the field is doing and why and how so that I can play the biggest tournament of the year, uh, hopefully a little better than my average opponent. Uh, One way you can study the main event and a great player uh, going through it is on TournamentPokerEdge.com where we have every hand revealed from Andrew Brokus as I tip my cat to Gus Hansen Hansen for that book title. Uh, (laughs) Andrew goes through each and every hand that he played in the 2019 main event in which he finished 125th place. So there's plenty of hands to look at. And he talks about the decisions he made and why he made them and whether he regrets any of them. And spoiler alert, there are several that he does regret. So listening to a great player and who's also a very great coach and teacher, one of our uh, superstar TPE instructors, Andrew Brokus talk about all of the decisions he made in that tournament last year is, in my opinion, a great way for you to get ready for this upcoming World Series of Poker in 2020. Uh, There's so much content on TournamentPokerEdge.com and you can get access to all of it for as low as $25 a month with your annual subscription. So if you haven't done so already and you are one of the many, many, many thousands of people who listen to this podcast on a weekly basis do me a favor and just give it a try. Check out tournamentpokeredge.com. So that'll do it for this week's episode. Hope you've enjoyed it. 
Love to get some feedback on Twitter at Clayton Comic. And for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Love nobody. Everybody, everybody knows she can't read.